Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me, I have my friend Toby. Toby, welcome back to the Equipping You and Grace podcast, brother. Or welcome to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. How you doing, brother? Thanks, Dave. I, I appreciate the invitation, man. I appreciate your ministry. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, appreciate you too, brother. Well, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your life, marriage, ministry, and what ministry projects you're working on? Sure, brother. Yeah, I, I came to faith um, when I was uh, 17. I came out of Mormonism, out of a Mormon background. My family had... Uh, converted to Mormonism when I was around 11. And then uh, the the woman who would become my wife uh, started to take me to church and she was coming from a, a Southern Baptist context and she would take me to church when uh, when I had uh, when I was around 17 and eventually came to faith after hearing the gospel of Jesus and um, I eventually married this woman and uh, we got married right out of high school. We're getting ready to celebrate 25 years of marriage and we have a teenage son. That's a little bit about my family. My wife a public educator as well. Uh, I'm serving as uh, the senior pastor of Memorial Baptist Church here in Newcastle, Indiana. I've been the senior pastor here for uh, over 13 years. You know, currently, uh, Wolfology just came out, uh, a look at heresies old and new um, with crisp uh, biblical resources. Over the last couple of weeks, it's been released. And I'm also working on a little booklet with crest biblical resources called The Rise of Woke Christianity, kind of a short survey um, and uh, overlook overview, you might say of the current controversy within conservative evangelicalism. Um, also, currently, I'm working on research for my PhD dissertation that I begin writing in the fall. Uh, currently, I'll be writing on the origins of Joseph Smith's theological worldview. That's a little bit about me and kind of where I'm at. Nice, man. Nice. Good to, good to learn a little bit more about you. Can you uh, tell us about this new book, Wolfology, a look at heresies old and new, why you wrote it, and how you hope it'll be received? Yeah. Uh, Wolfology is a concise introduction to some of the most well-known heresies throughout the history of the church, both ancient and modern. Um, you know, for example, in the ancient context, we would look at heresies like Gnosticism and Arianism and modalism. And then we would also look at modern heresies like the Jehovah's Witness movement or uh, the prosperity gospel. Um, what we're doing here in this book is we're trying to take aim at the development of the history of these movements while providing a uh, biblical critique of each of the movements. Nice. I really like like, I really liked the book. I thought it was, of course, guys, I, I endorsed the book too. I should say that, right? That's right. You did. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate pleasure. that. Yeah. I, what I liked about it is it's uh, it's very, it's easy to read. Um, it's full of examples. So you're not saying, oh, many Christians think this, which I don't like. When people do that, it's the editor of me, I guess. Mm -hmm. So lots of examples, lots of scripture, lots of really helpful guidance. So you did a really good job on this. And I, I think that it is very helpful to the church, the, the book that you've written. So thank you for your work, brother. Dave, that means a lot uh, coming from you. I appreciate your ministry and, and uh, the work that you do. And hey, um, I've got the Dave Jenkins seal of approval. So, you know, it's going to be a number one bestseller. <laughs> I don't know about that, but yeah, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully some people will find it. That'll be good. 
That'd be good. Yeah, indeed, indeed. What? Well, brother, why should Christians be concerned about heresy? Well, you know, heresy is a word that gets overused a lot today, especially in social media. Um, so we, we need to be careful with kind of how we use it. But uh, we need to remember not every disagreement over Christian doctrine results in heresy. At the same time, heresy is a result of false teaching either within the church or in close proximity to the church. Uh, we have to remember what Jesus tells us in, in Matthew 7. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves, which is sort of a driving passage for the book I wrote. Um, we, we need to understand that uh, false teaching is a reality, and the church has faced it for 2,000 years. If the Lord tarries another 2,000 years, the church will be facing um, false teaching <laughs> You know, 2,000 years from now. Uh, it's going to be an issue. Uh, Paul tells us in uh, his epistle to Timothy, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So the biblical reality is that the, the Orthodox Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who take serious the teachings of Scripture, will always be challenged from false teaching uh, within the church and also in close proximity to the church. So you also need to remember that much of the New Testament, especially the epistles, were written to contradict false teaching. So many of the reasons we have letters like, you know, First, Second Timothy and, and Titus and, and, you know, other epistles as well is because the apostles were dealing with um, people who are contradicting contradicting the biblical teachings that have been given to the apostles. Yeah, that's really, really good. Really, really good. Well, how should Christians respond to heresy, brother? That's a good question, Dave. I think there are probably three things I would say here in terms of responding to heresy. Number one kind of goes to the last point of what we were talking about, and that is be aware of the reality of false teaching. Uh, just know that it's it's going to be a constant until the Lord Jesus returns. I think there's a good argument to be made that, it, that there'll be even further and greater apostasy up until the return of Jesus. Uh, that also means that we need to be discerning, and that means we need to know Christian doctrine so well that discerning false teaching becomes almost second nature to the believer. Like we, we need to know orthodoxy so that we can we can sniff out uh, heresy and false teaching. Um, the third thing I would say is that we have to work actively against theological drift. Um, there's an old axiom that goes, you can drift into heresy, but nobody drifts into orthodoxy. So, you know, it's easy for us to slip away and to downgrade into something that is uh, untrue and false. And that's why we have to constantly be working our way towards uh, biblical truth and keep ourselves grounded there so that we do not drift. I think that's, I think that's really good. Um, you know, like you were mentioning, you know, we, we have such a kind of a loose definition of her heresy, but you know, when, when we talk about the church, we, we see that the church responded with clarity to heresy. You know, they weren't uh, being novel about it. You know, they weren't responding to like second order things they were talking about. Like this is a gospel under, under attack. And they were contending right. for the faith once and for all for the saints but they were going back to scripture you know that's where i think we we forget the church didn't just make things up they went back to the bible and they studied the bible um and then they wrote you know the the various creeds uh responses to those things so you know when we talk about you know the latest whatever theological debate or whatever it is we have to make sure that it's a if it's a gospel issue then we we definitely need to, to fight against um you know and stand up and make sure our voices are heard but you know, if it's a secondary preference issue 
issue or third order issue, we need to be a little bit more cautious. And we're, we're I think we do not a very good job at that. So no, I, I would agree with you there, Dave. We, we sometimes make, uh, you know, we, we major on the minors and minor on the majors. And that's one of the big issues that I think the evangelical church in our context and in the social media sphere really struggles with. Yeah. yeah. You know, I love that you use lots of examples from church history in this work. How, how has church history helped you grow in your understanding of theology? Well, I mean, in God's good providence, he's given us champions of orthodoxy who stood against uh, the rise of false teaching within the church and gave us men like Athanasius and uh, Irenaeus, and uh, there's so many others, especially as we think maybe even about the Protestant Reformation. Um, but we have to understand, it's like, you know, we have a, a theology that has a, a great history and that we, we needed, you know, we needed hundreds of years to actually iron out some of the uh, some of the wrinkles in our theology. Uh, I've, I've told people this several times, you know, it would have been great had, you know, we got to the end of Revelation chapter 22 and then somebody, you know, the Holy Spirit gave us Wayne Grudem's systematic theology at the very end, but that wasn't the case. Um, and so in God's wisdom, what he did was he, you know, providentially gave us uh, godly men and women who helped us um, iron out those theological uh, wrinkles over hundreds of years where we have got this great corpus of historic Christian orthodoxy. Like like yesterday in my church, for example, we, we don't recite this creed often because of its length, but we recited the Athanasius Creed yesterday when we met as a church. And you know, what I told our, our folks yesterday was we have to remember that, you know, when we come to a time of corporate confession in our context, we're Reformed Southern Baptists, and so we use some liturgy. I said, when we come to a time of corporate confession here, it's not us going through the motions. It, this is not just um, a corporate thing that we do, a corporate, uh, recit, you know, where we're reciting something all together. This is something where we're actually achieving corporate discipleship. And these creeds actually help us to think correctly about God and the nature of Jesus and the nature of the Holy Spirit. And um, it's one of the things I had told, um, you know, some of the people in our church over the, the last several months is that, you know, one of the best things that you can do is actually go, re you know, go and memorize the Nicene Creed. Go, go memorize, um, you know, a, a big portion of the Athanasian Creed. Um, I think you'll do far better than even maybe reading some contemporary books if you'll recite some of these historic creeds and hide them in your heart, because uh, it'll help you think through some of the more complex issues like the Trinity, like the hypostatic union. Um, so in terms of the, the history of the church, I, I think that we have a wealth of knowledge that we need to return to. Yeah, absolutely. You know, then you have people who say, "Oh, I don't need the, I don't need a, any any church history. I'm I'm good." You know, it's like, <laughs> wow. You know, it's like, well, let's have a conversation. The Holy Spirit gave us the Scripture, but He also gave us teachers, and we have That's to, right. you know, we have to have both and. It's not either or. It's a both and. So I yeah, agree completely. Countering that a lot lately, I I think um, there's a lot of people who think that way. It's unsaid. We we need church history. We need we need to heed what you just said. I think a lot. Well, I know you have a lot of experience. You said you came out of Mormonism, and um, I'm really I've I lived in you know Southern Idaho for a decade, so I have a lot of experience you know talking with Mormons, not as much as you do, of course. But what are some of the best ways of engaging Mormons with the gospel? Yeah, I mean, this sounds like a no-brainer, but um, befriend them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> be be kind to them. <laughs> Um, there was a time in my past where I had some animosity coming out of Mormonism and I had kind of, uh, some anger issues that the Lord still had to, he had to still squeeze out of me by the Holy Spirit's power. And, um, over the years, I've really changed trajectories in so many different ways in the way I approach Mormon. And at my age and where I'm at, I tend to look at young Mormon missionaries like sons. Um, so I, I try to treat them with respect and kindness, and I try to learn something about their story and their history. And I give them leeway. Uh, I'm, I'm very confident in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in the teachings of scripture. And so I'm not worried that they're going to somehow uh, hook, hook me with false teaching or anything like that. Um, that being said, I do think that young believers who are, who are not necessarily, uh, who haven't received the kind of discipleship that they've received and who are kind of, who are weak in certain points of doctrine do need to be discerning and very careful. It's easy to get tripped up. But all the same, I would say that treat Mormons with kindness, with love, respect. Uh, I always try to, when they, they come over to my house, either on like a hot summer day, try to give them some cool water or, you know, offer them a Coke to see what they'll do, you know, with their words of wisdom, see if they'll, they'll receive it because they have, uh, they're disciplined when it comes to caffeine. So um, <laughs> they, they typically, they typically decline it. But um, so, yeah, I just try to befriend them, let them share their story and, and even let them share their understanding of the nature of God. And I do that with the hopes that I can engage them with the gospel of Jesus. And and I don't do any, I don't think that there's any special sauce or special recipe. I think that if we believe that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, then all we need to do is simply share the gospel with them and be kind to them and uh, and pray for them. And, and that's what I do. That's been my technique for years. And sometimes these conversations uh, last five minutes. Sometimes they last five hours. And so I've had some really good experiences. And, you know, one of the things that I'm very confident in is that God's word never returns void and that it always accomplishes purposes. And so even though I may not see any kind of immediacy, I'm confident that the Holy Spirit will do the work that he will do. And this person, this this Mormon may come to faith in the biblical Christ uh, years later. And I would like to think that God used that conversation that we had in some small way. Yeah, that's really good. Really good. Yeah. One other thing I like to do in, in addition to what you said is ask lots of questions. Um, just, just find out, you know, what are they, what do you think about such and such thing? And then with the opportunity to share Christ with them. One time I, I realized I was sitting there with one of my neighbors, who's a Mormon and uh, shared the gospel with him for four hours. And the lights the the door the there's nothing there you know like you can tell somebody's like yeah you know there's nobody home like woohoo uh but then i asked mm-hmm. him i asked him i said hey what about uh your k-love sticker you know do you, do you hear the gospel on the k-love and he said oh yeah i hear a great gospel on k-love now we're not talking about whether the gospel's <laughs> on k-love or not but i was just like oh man oh man no i don't think you've yeah. heard the go- i don't think you've heard anything and uh they're just they're blind they have have no eyes to, to see yeah. or ears to hear and you know we, we really really convicted me i'm just like i gotta just pray for it pray for them you know man and, I, I appreciate you saying that dave because one of the things that i think that sometimes evangelicals can be guilty of is is thinking that 
Mormons are naive rubes who uh, who are somehow unintelligent or something like that. Most of the Mormons I've ever met are like, you know, these are young Mormon missionaries who come to my doors. So they're like, you know, astrophysicists on a two year leave from, you know, BYU. These are these are bright, intelligent, articulate people. And, um, you know, one of the things that we forget about Mormonism is that, you know, Joseph Smith's critique of, of Christianity in his day was that Christianity was moving away from supernaturalism. Um, you and I, we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in the literal resurrection of Jesus. Um, but Joseph Smith's criticism of Christianity in his day was that they were losing sight of, uh, of supernaturalism. And, um, you know, evangelical Christians should believe in the, the supernatural gospel Mormons believe in supernaturalism too, um, and so I see that as actually a point of uh, I see that a point of connectivity between us. And uh, I, I don't think that we should uh, kind of harbor this idea that because Mormons believe uh, in modern day prophecy, or because they believe that uh, an angel named Moroni came to visit a young boy in in New York in the early 19th century, that this sometimes uh, puts them in some special category. I don't. I think that you know. You know, people of faith are all kind of in a broad category of people who actually believe in uh, the supernatural nature of uh, of God, of of, uh, of something metaphysical, something beyond ourselves, something transcendent. And I see that as a point of connectivity, not a point of conflict. Yeah, that's really, really good. Really good. What are some of the markers of progressive Christianity and how should uh, Christians speak to those issues? Yeah, I mean, the primary issue with uh, mainline Protestant liberalism is their denial of the authority and uh, inspiration and sufficiency of scripture. Um, you know, we were just talking about Mormons. Mormons are ardently supernaturalists who believe that God continues to speak to them. Uh, mainline Protestant liberalism, um, God hasn't spoken through the word of God at all. Um, the Bible is just an ancient book written by men. And uh, that's the primary marker. And because they don't take the word of God as the word of God, um, it affects the way that they look at the world, um, the way they adopt their, uh, you know, sort of an, an egalitarian feminist kind of perspective on, uh, on you know, the role of, of women in the pastorate uh, would be one example. Um, the uh, the affirmation of the sexual revolution is another uh, outworking of their denial of the authority of God's word. Um, and and one of the things that we can we can look at as we see progressive Christianity, um, you know, years later, almost a century later after it began, is that it's it's a very it's a very sick movement in the terms of its growth. It's it's um, been very anemic. It's been um, basically dying, and a lot of that is because if, if you don't believe that the Word of God is the Word of God, that the Bible is really the revelation of, of what God has revealed to man, then there's not a lot of conviction about the truth contained in the Scriptures. Um, the moral imperatives have no value. Um, the resurrection of Jesus has no uh, spiritual significance other than, you know, some sort of divine enlightenment, but it doesn't really have any kind of 
real world impact. It doesn't impact our salvation. It doesn't impact our justification. Um, those are not doctrines that mainline Protestant liberalism would subscribe to. Um, mainline Protestant liberalism today is really uh, sort of a spiritual, um, well, I mean, it's been this way for a while. It's a sort of a spiritual social justice movement. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what mainline Protestant liberalism uh, became, what it is today. And, you know, when when mainline Protestant liberalism really first began, they were trying to decide, how do we take, you know, ancient myth and make it palatable for modern man? And that's kind of what we've seen for uh, a long time now. It's more of a, a psychological type of preaching, um, you know, improvement type of preaching, how to become successful in life, um, those types of presets. Yeah. Yeah. What, what you said is so good because you just said about questions. They began with the wrong question and they got the wrong answer because they're basing what they think on, on their feelings about whatever subject it is rather than the truth. That's, right. that's, that's always, always a, a egregious way to go about things. You know, it's okay for us to ask questions. We, God encourages us to ask questions, but he wants us to ask questions in the right way, you know, from belief in his word, not unbelief in his word. And, um, you know, yeah. we need to have, there's so many Christians today, and I hate using that word so many, but it's true where they're like afraid to ask a question or to even have questions because they think that if I have questions, then I'm like somehow not even a Christian. And that's just not even, that's not true either. That's the opposite error as well. So we have the right, we can ask good questions from, you know, the biblical, of the biblical text and get the right answers because we believe the Bible is true. And yeah, that, that, that's a good word, Dave. That's one of the things that, you know, when we think about like, uh, oftentimes I think that we, we read the Doubting Thomas narrative and we, we typically come away from it as, um, um, Jesus is rebuking Thomas, and and that that may well be the case. But I think there could be an argument to say that that Thomas needs proof, right? He yeah. needs proof. I, I need to touch his hands. Let me see his side. And the way I tend to read that anymore is I read that as Jesus having grace on Thomas, mm. and he actually he actually shows him his hands. He actually gives him his side. And so, to your point about asking questions, I think the asking questions is is crucial and critical. And we need to encourage the church to be open and honest about some of the things that are maybe incongruent in their mind, some of the conflict that they may have internally, and not, not to be afraid to ask questions because God's Word has revealed everything that He wants us to believe, and He's revealed how He wants us to live. And there's not one uh, one area of life that the Lord does not address. Yeah, that's like you said either. We have, we have absolute confidence in the Bible, and we have absolute confidence in the Gospel. So why wouldn't we ask questions? We, we should be unafraid. Absolutely. And not only that, but that the church has, you know, as we said earlier, we have 2,021 years of good answers. I mean, we have mm -hmm. we have all of the, well, I mean, not all the answers, but we have a great majority of the answers to the many issues of our day. And so, yeah, we, yeah. we have absolute, we can have absolute confidence. And, and what's funny, I mean, it's not funny, haha, but what's interesting is that when, when you get people who have questions, um, let's say about the nature of Jesus, or the nature of salvation or, uh, you know, something more, maybe a little bit more controversial in terms of like maybe the doctrine of predestination. 
And when you take a believer who's got questions like that, and then you begin to walk them through the Word of God, you can see the lights sort of turning on, and you can find you can see in them that they're finally getting answers to questions that they've always had, but maybe nobody ever led them to to discover that truth. Those are the moments that excite me as a pastor and as a teacher when I can see the lights begin to turn on in the mind of uh, of these people that God has given to me to disciple. That's what makes me passionate about pastoral ministry. Amen, brother. That's, that's wonderful. You know, we talk a lot about the prosperity gospel in our in our circles. What contribution do you have to make to that kind of conversation in your book? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, it's a, it's a short history of the prosperity movement. We would like to ground it in, you know, some, some of the transcendentalism of the, of the 19th century. And, and uh, we, we look at key figures uh, who have popularized the movement. And I guess my desire in that chapter would be to shed light on the prosperity gospel's inconsistency with the teachings of Christ. I think in my in my own community, we have very much a strong contingency of folks who subscribe to this type of theology. And the problem with this type of theology is that it's so out of step with what I see in the Bible. And <clears throat> what I find helpful about the teachings of Christ is that it helps me in those moments of um, suffering or anxiety, or we were talking about doubt. Um, scripture helps us there, and it makes categories for those things. Whereas within the prosperity movement, um, the prosperity gospel makes no categories for suffering. Um, if you're suffering, it's because of bad thinking or weak faith. And um, that's just not something I see in the scriptures. Um, in the scriptures, what I find is that it is not the quantity of faith that matters. It's it's the quality of faith that matters. Uh, that I have faith at all is a miracle of God's grace. And um, faith is not something that is a force to be wielded. Faith is given and so that we can trust and believe in Jesus Christ for our salvation. So I just see a lot of incongruity between the prosperity movement and the gospel of Christ. And I think that I point out some of those inconsistencies in a very uh, helpful and concise way. So hopefully that's a contribution. People won't have to read a, uh, you know, a 200 page treatment of it. Um, they could either read, you know, my 20 page treatment of it or go listen to John Piper's famous, uh, you know, three minute uh, sermon clip where he blasts the prosperity gospel, um, but uh, or, or do both of those things. Lump me and John Piper together in the same sentence. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, that's really good, brother. You know, we there's a lot of conversation these days about Bethel, and I live uh, four hours south of Redding, California, where there oh, wow. is, um, just, you know, help help uh, Christians today understand a little bit about Bethel, why they should be concerned about it, um, those types of things, and music, those types of things, you know, T feel free to take that wherever you want. <laughs> Yeah, Dave, I appreciate you bringing this up because number one, it, the, the problem with Bethel, everybody thinks it's fun to just like pick on major evangelical uh, megastars. Um, like everybody wants to beat up on Joel Osteen or Stephen Furtick or any of the people at the top. And people think that, uh, you know, it's just easy for maybe, you know, smaller church pastors to do that from their lower perch. But the truth of the matter is uh, the reason why this is so concerning is because number 
number one, Bethel is accepted by much of mainstream evangelicalism. Uh, their music is uh, propagated uh, throughout uh, the world globally. Uh, matter of fact, I would doubt that you could get through one song set on a popular radio station where Bethel music hasn't informed um, some aspect of the music that you're listening to. And the reason why that's problematic is primarily because it's a, it's a theological and doctrinal issue. Um, Bethel advances um, kenosis theory Christology. And it's the concept that Jesus emptied himself of deity while he was here on his earthly ministry, uh, making a sharp separation between his divinity and his humanity. And uh, that is, uh, a, it's got a lot of issues, not only related to uh, the nature of Christ, but also related to the nature of the Godhead. And it's, it's a heterodox movement, and that's problematic in and of itself. But the second reason that I have issues with Bethel is, is because there are many aspects of Bethel's practical ministry that either is directly or implicitly, or at least on the edge, uh, what we would call esoteric occultism. Um, that sounds like a serious charge. Well, you know, Bethel, Bethel has a ministry team uh, dedicated to raising the dead. Uh, they've attempted uh, to do that. They've alleged that they've been successful, yet I haven't seen any of the data on that. Um, and then they also practice something um, called grave soaking. And uh, grave soaking is the idea of, uh, of a believer laying over the, over the grave of some other believer who God may have used mightily in the past. And the idea is to get the anointing of that dead uh, Christian sort of absorb their anointing from the grave. And so these are some of my concerns about Bethel. Um, I encourage folks not to uh, listen to Bethel music, um, but that's also, that's a hard one to get done. Uh, people, you know, people listen to some of their songs. I've listened to some of their music, and I would say in terms of, of, of much of the music that can be listened to, uh, it's very pleasing to the ear. Um, it sounds very Christian, but it also stems from a movement that is unfound. You could read a Mormon hymn, and it could sound very Christian, but I would never encourage you to, read, uh, to sing a Mormon hymn in church, uh, nor would I encourage any Christian church to be playing Bethel music, but uh, I don't think a whole lot of people are going to listen to me on this point, Dave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's really good, because what you're bringing out is, is what we sing is inherently theological, and what people forget yeah. is that it's not just the, what we are inputting with, you know, hearing the scripture preach, but it's also worship is our response to that. It's a response in the Lord's gathering. It's our response to that. So that's mm -hmm. pretty, that when I explain that people are like, oh wow, that's so that's really serious, isn't it? And I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. it's really serious. What you're inputting and what you're hearing from the scripture is not only vital, but what you're singing out in response to God should be that good theology that you just heard. And that's what's so dangerous about, like you're pointing out about Bethel, is you're hearing the word on Sunday, and then you're singing and supporting a ministry that goes against God's word. And when I think when pastors hear that, they're like, oh, wow, I got to do something about that, you know, and they're explained, oh, this is what's happening. I think most pastors would be like, hey, no, I don't want to support that, you know, and I don't want my money to do that, because that's where, you know, you have to pay to, you know, use their songs and all that. And that's where, you know, I would also say to Christians, as you're listening to this, don't listen to their, on your Spotify or your Pandora, don't listen to them because that's how they're getting the money too. find other find other things like maybe Shane and Shane or uh, City of Light or I mean there's yeah. 
dozens of others to listen to besides Bethel because that's where they're getting their money that you're you're feeding their their stream of income by listening to their to their songs yeah I agree and you know what's interesting is that like the Lord has has made us to listen to music you know I mean he gives us a, a song book in, in the word of God in the, in the song uh, you know singing the Psalter uh, God has made us for music now Kurt Vonnegut was at best an agnostic but he had said that the um, you know the proof that there is a the proof that there is God or he said music is the proof that God exists um, so God has made us uh, to sing and he has given us nature that sings a song every evening every night and so we want good God-centered music and we want it to be to be um, to arrive from the text of scripture let's encourage those artists like the Getty uh, let's encourage city of light let's encourage those uh, God-centered Christ-exalting musicians who are really trying to create content that helps us to worship God better on Sunday morning and let's not forget our past either there, there are good hymns and there are bad hymns let's go back to the good hymns and let's incorporate them let's read arrange them. Let's sing them a cappella. You know what? I would encourage some churches to even incorporate a psalter every now and again. Um, that's something that I'm trying to get done at, at our church. We're trying to see how that would work to occasionally use that. But um, this is this is you and I talking again about drawing on our history and not just living in our own little bubble of our 21st century experience, but drawing on the great history and rich traditions that the church has and has had for 2,000 years. Yeah, that's really good, brother. Well, where can people go to find out more about your work online, on social media, otherwise, brother? Yeah, you can um, you can follow me at Twitter at Toby. Um, there's a what is it underscore e underscore Smith. So it's at Toby E Smith on Twitter. Um, you can find more about our our ministry here at Memorial Baptist Church at NBC dot uh, NBC Go dot org, or you can go to CalvinistConsortium.com, or you can follow the Calvinist Consortium on the uh on the facebook as the kids call it the facebook um <laughs> i sound my age right now dave i sound my age so, so out of touch yeah well, i mean i'm quickly joining you i guess you know i just turned 40 so oh there we go it's it's there you go all... you're over the hill yeah. that's a, yeah go, it's go all downhill you, go get you some tube socks and some uh, some of those columbia um tennis shoes and uh wear some pulled up shorts and then you've got the look pull those that's kind of where i'm at these days so that's funny i would also encourage folks to uh you know check out the book on amazon right now it's in kindle edition for 8.99 you can get a paperback copy for 12.99 and hopefully it will be up on uh, crest biblical resources website here soon and you should be able to find it here in a few weeks on uh, um, other websites as well so we're looking forward to that wonderful brother well just as we wrap up this conversation uh, do you have a few takeaways well uh, you know one of the things that I would encourage folks to do is to uh, realize that you know we're, we're always drifting away from orthodoxy even the most staunch believer and so we have to work against that so you know don't forget this simple principle um, you know it's easy for us to drift into heresy but it takes work to stay uh, stay founded upon the truth of God's word um, also you know in our study of heresy, don't lose sight of the fact that um, as much as studying about heresy can help you understand uh, key aspects of other movements, that you should never neglect the study of scripture. Don't don't neglect the study of truth uh, so that you can study, you know, Arianism or Mormonism. 
I would also say along with that, that heresy can help us understand orthodoxy well. Um, you know, heresy, um, heresy ends where orthodoxy begins, or you could say that the other way around. Orthodoxy begins where, or, uh, orthodoxy ends where heresy begins. Um, so, you know, there are some benefits to studying heresy. Uh, we can learn a lot about our own um, Christian perspective and why our doctrines develop over the history of the church. So uh, I would encourage you guys to uh, get the book, uh, read it. And if you have any feedback, um, get a hold of me on Twitter. I'd love to hear from you. Um, and also, Dave, I, I just want to tell you, I appreciate your ministry. I appreciate the way that you've encouraged me over this last year as I've been doing this writing project. And uh, I really appreciate this platform that you're giving to me and to uh, so many other believers who are writing books and putting out content. Praise the Lord, brother. It's all privilege, right, of, of his grace. And to be in a position to help mm-hmm. you and others, is it's, a, it's an honor. So thank the Lord. Well, you've been an incredible encouragement to me. I've come to you with several questions over the last 12 months, and you were always there, uh, ready and willing to help me uh, think through some things or give me some answers to several questions I had. So I just want to take this time to publicly thank you. So thank you, brother. Thank you, brother, for your kind words. Well, guys, we've been talking with my friend Toby about his new book, Wolfology, A Look at Heresies, Old and New. I mentioned I endorsed it. It's a good book. I encourage you to pick it up and go get your friends some of the copies too and send it to them as well. So thank you, brother, for your time today. Hey, Dave, I appreciate it. You know, hey, go out, buy a copy for yourself, buy two copies for a friend, buy 200 copies for your friends, whatever you need to do. (laughs) Awesome. I agree. Great stuff. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.